Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. Today, we have with us a gentleman who has multi-decades of experience in commercial real estate across many asset classes. Uh, He's seen good movies. He's seen bad movies because that's how long he's been doing it. He's learned an incredible amount from the bad movies, which I heard on another podcast. So I invited him on this podcast Uh, and now he's he's doing absolutely fantastic. We're going to talk about it. He is the CEO of Harvard Grace, and he's also a CPA, which is also nice. He is Stuart Heath. Stuart, welcome to Street Smart Success. Thank you very much, Roger. It is an honor to be here. Thank you very much. So, Stuart, give me the uh, the pre-real estate Stuart story. I, I believe you're in the great state of Tennessee where yours truly was a, a, about a month ago in Nashville for, for about four days, which was great. Where do you hail from and what did you do prior to getting into real estate? Uh, I do hail from the Nashville area, uh, south of Nashville, uh, Franklin area. Uh, Grew up there, uh, grade school there, and then left Middle Tennessee to go to college uh, down at Auburn University in Alabama, uh, which uh, was sort of a family thing. Almost didn't know there were other colleges. Uh, It's just where my dad told me I was going to go. So I went. But Nashville is uh, my home. It's sort of a heartbeat. It's where I've learned everything pretty much the hard way. And yeah, it's a great place to be from. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of good things going on in Middle Tennessee and in Nashville in particular. Yeah, I saw it with my own eyes and enjoyed it. And I, I apologize on, the, on behalf of my state of California for all the Southern Californians <laughs> that are moving to Franklin, Tennessee. I just tell all my grown kids, I said, just be patient. We're all going to go to California and buy some bargain property because it's beautiful out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that hasn't happened yet. The, the, the bargain part, yeah. I got to tell you. Right. It's like just yesterday I was reading uh, about, you know, which, which we do about, you know, San Francisco. And it's, it's not only is it dying, but it's actually dead. And there's these problems and the blah, 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 which all of that is true. Uh, but. You know, there's context for it and, and whatever, but I, I wish it would, it would actually push the prices down uh, so I could afford to move back into San Francisco. Yes, I'm one of the crazy ones, but, but quite frankly, that's not really happening to the point where it's affordable. But I digress. Uh, I have a question. Generations of, of your family at Auburn, are you talking about like, you know, two, three, four how long, grandparents? You know, how long do you guys go back to Auburn? Yeah. Just, just my dad. Uh, he um, went there on the GI Bill after World War II, uh, and even before it was Auburn University, it was Alabama Polytechnic. And so he went there for a couple of years, and uh, he just raised me and my siblings to be Auburn fans. And uh, and I just, I almost didn't know there was other schools to go to. I just thought all those other teams we played were just, you know, like football clubs. <laughs> so. And it just uh, really had never con- considered going anywhere else. Right. It, and it's a great place to go to school. I got it. Okay. And and so 
Stuart, how did you get into the world of real estate? Uh, interesting story. So my dad, obviously I followed him to Auburn and then I followed in his footsteps. He was a CPA. He worked for one company his entire career um, and ended up being partner with uh, Ernst & Winnie, uh, who he retired when that's Ernst & Young. Uh, and so I followed that and and I still do accounting. I still like accounting. Uh, but I've got an entrepreneurial streak, which I will credit my mother for. Uh, and, and so I'm in public accounting and I'm strategizing and, and helping all these clients um, uh, accomplish their goals. Uh, and so I spent about four years with Pricewaterhouse and then struck out on my own, hung out my own shingle. Uh, and then I just started seeing other clients again doing what uh, what they were doing. I was frustrated. It took me a long time to be able to articulate. I was frustrated that my only way of making money was selling my time. Didn't really want a bunch of employees uh, because that doesn't sound like fun either. And so, and then there's only so much time that I have. So unless I could start you know, collecting a thousand dollars an hour, then you're not, you're, you're really limited what you can make. But I noticed several of my clients, they were doing fix and flips. They were doing small apartment buildings. Some of them were in construction and I sort of came up through a time. So, you know, I got out of Auburn in 1985 In 1986, Congress did this thing called, you know, uh, the tax reform act. Uh, where where they really did a number on the real estate industry targeted at at um, at those firms at, at the real estate transactions that were being done as tax shelters. You, you may remember, uh, you know, four to one write offs with with no basis checks and stuff like that. That really sent real estate into a bit of a tailspin into uh, the late eighties, early nineties, and so I sort of came of age thinking, well, real estate's bad. Real estate was bad. And, and I remember bankers uh, telling us at, at, at meetings that they, don't, they didn't want to lend on real estate anymore. It was too risky. Well, looking back on that, you know, that's really kind of silly. Um, it's real estate's the most leveraged, leverageable asset uh, class around, uh, and usually at pretty good rates. Uh, but but anyway, just sort of at, at a moment of uh, frustration during a tax season that, you know, here I was working my working 18, 20 hours a day uh, and, and making good money, making good money, but really wasn't building any value. So then I started considering my clients. And, and so then I started doing what they were doing. Uh, I started with one duplex and then I and then I did a deal with 14 duplexes. Hey, next thing you knew, I had 30 units and I, then I needed to have some management structure. Uh, and, and I kept buying and buying and got a contractor's license and started building uh, and then got into some commercial uh, and, and just, I just enjoyed it a lot. And most of that I was doing with um, doing the equity step ladder, I think as some people call it, where uh, you take the equity out of one property and you do another one and, and it, everything was great uh, until uh, 2008 when that whole gravy train came to an end. Uh, but I built a pretty substantial uh, real estate portfolio and, and basically ended up giving almost all of it back to banks because I was caught 
in uh, 2008, 2009 with um, uh, too many projects in an unfinished state. So went through all that. I never lost my love for, uh, for real estate or the power of uh, just recurring cash flow. Uh, and so that's now what I do. Uh, we, we focus ex- almost ex- exclusively on stabilized cash flowing properties that you can put fixed interest rates on uh, and, and and just grow their grow the wealth, grow the value of them through uh, professional management. Okay. So that's it. All right. That's how I got here. That's okay. So that's, that's where we're at. <laughs> Thank you for that. Going back to the duplexes and you were calling it, I think, did you say the equity step ladder? Is that the term you used? And so yeah. were, were you then, I guess, across the portfolio, the image in my brain is you're not cash flowing because you're taking equity out of properties as you go. And so you're just building up basically a portfolio. And I'm thinking to myself that Stuart is just, just knows that he's got a bunch of net worth in these across the portfolio and that they'll appreciate. And is that a general, is that a general gist of what it was at that time on those properties? Yep. Generally what I was doing, and if I was buying other income properties, probably would have been okay. Uh, but I was doing uh, rehabs and, and, and outright construction along the way, not really development, but, but construction. And so and when you do that, you disrupt your cash flow stream. Right. So um, it was a construction of uh, residential. It was. And houses, duplexes, or condos. Uh, I had started uh, in one particular property. I had bought fifteen condo units from one investor, and over a course of two years, I ended up buying all seventy-four units in that uh, development, and then we rehabbed them and remarketed them as new. And it was, it was great. It was great. Right up until uh, the fall of 2008, I think we put the first 30 units on the market after we'd rehabbed them in uh, January of 2008. And I sold 26 of them in one weekend. Uh, and so I went, great, we're off to the races. You know, uh, by the end of the year, I'll have a couple of million bucks. <laughs> but the market, I mean, it just stopped. I think I didn't sell, but two more that whole year uh, because, the, yeah. Well, I was going to, I'm rudely interrupting. I'm sorry. Is that because lenders <laughs> stopped lending to these people buying or people just got freaked out because of the economy and just it, it, the whole thing fell off the cliff because of buyer sentiment or was it a combination or? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was both. And I mean, most of us remember 2008. That's the year the Countrywide Mortgage announced, I think on like July the 28th, that they weren't going to close any of their loans scheduled to close on the 31st. That was the year that Bear Stearns went belly up and Lehman Brothers. And, you know, it was just sort of a weird time. You know, it seems to me that we, we didn't have much traffic for people wanting to buy, uh, but I don't know how much mortgage availability there was out there at that time either. Okay. And, and at that time you said, okay, you said you were also doing commercial as a phrase you used as you were recounting it yeah. in, in that context. What did, what did commercial mean? We had uh, constructed some um, office condos in, in Franklin, Tennessee area. Got it. And then what happened to those? Basically 
uh, I, I had to take a BK in, in uh, 2009. And so uh, they're still there. And some of my original partners still own uh, some of them. Uh, and, you know, they're, you know, they're still great properties. Two things I love about you is uh, you're an all or nothing guy. I'm, you know, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Uh, you had, yeah. you know, you got the bug for real estate and you didn't, you, you didn't dip your toe and you went, you went pedal to the floor. I love that about you. And what I think I love even more about I did you. did do that. Yeah. What I love even more about you, Stuart, is you didn't get scared away and just back to your CPA practice only. And, you know, just, Hey, I learned my lesson. I, cause you're right back at it again. And so that's, uh, that's very, very, very impressive. Okay. So when and how did you kind of dig yourself out and all that experience could not have been easy at that time? No, it wasn't any fun. Uh, but so basically shut everything down. I, I took a couple uh, over the years of C-level jobs and ended up being a COO, CFO for a, um, a retail operator uh, down in the Huntsville area, which actually sparked my interest in the whole Huntsville market. Uh, that was 2008 is when it really, it's when the current growth curve actually started. Uh, and, uh, and I got down there about uh, late 2009 and it was just, just beginning to take off. But anyway, so I, I you know, got my feet up under me, um, growing a business uh, uh, for the man that owned it. Uh, uh, and then later on, uh, came back to the Nashville area uh, as a CFO for a Christian media company and, and continued to um, just essentially reestablish myself. Never, ever lost my love, uh, you know, for the power of real estate, the power of passive income. Uh, and, and so, it ended up having to go through a layoff with that media company, uh, you know, just through the, the down, ups and down cycles of the media business. Um, and so, all right, here's my chance to try to get back into it. I, I restarted a CPA firm of, of sorts, which, but, but I limited my services to fractional CFO work because that's something else I'd always enjoyed, which was essentially partnering with my clients trying to help them achieve their goals rather than saying, well, here's what tax you owe. Nothing I can do about it. Uh, I, that, that, is, that wasn't very rewarding to me. So as a fractional CFO, I could actually be a, you know, a team member. And then along the way, I, I kept uh, plotting and planning and, uh, as a way to get back into doing real estate. And so in 2020, we laid some foundations to form Harvard Grace Capital uh, with some board members and partners and it closed our first deal in 2022, January of 22, uh, as Harvard Grace Capital. Uh, you know, 2020 got disrupted a little bit by this thing. You might have heard of uh, the pandemic. I did once or twice. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, some some people are still talking about it. <laughs> uh, it uh, but but anyway, you know, the first building was actually a property that I had uh, managed for a client for several years. Uh, it was a not for profit, and I told him day one, really without any plan to buy it. I told him day one, y'all don't have any business owning this building. I mean, you got no reserves. You, you don't know what you're doing. The leases were awful. And so I spent about three years fixing their leases for them, raising the rents only to turn around and, and end up buying, having to buy it at a higher value. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's been a good, uh, been a good price, uh, a purchase for us 
rents have continued to increase. Uh, that's in a Nashville suburb called Spring Hill. Uh, and um, we've increased rents almost 10 bucks a foot in, in just in the period of time that we've done that. I had that one. And then later in 22, uh, last fall, we purchased a, a fairly large storage facility in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, and then our last purchase was a medical office building also in Huntsville. Okay. Uh, I have some questions. I'm going to, we're going to take this thing back going in a reverse order for a minute as opposed to forward. And this is just out of curiosity. What was the retail operator in Huntsville that you, uh, went to work with? Not, not the person, but was it, are you saying this was like a retail concept, uh, chain of, what was it? It, it was a, it was it was, it's a chain. It was six facilities, but they, uh, but and there is actually on the Tennessee side of the line, one of the most fun jobs I've ever had in my life. Uh, it was called, uh, the magic mile. Uh, and on the Tennessee side of the line, this, this country operator, uh, you know, a shrewd, smart country guy had bought property on both sides of the main highway coming North out of Huntsville. And he realized quite some time ago, Tennessee had a lottery and Alabama did not. And, and so there he was across the line uh, from, uh, you know, a, four, a population of 400,000 and growing people. And, and so just average throughout the year, we would, we would, you know, we sold gas and groceries and food and everything, but, but the cash cow was the lottery business, uh, which is a nuisance to most real t- re- retailers. But when you're doing it at 25 million a clip, uh, you know, you can make a business out of it. And, um, and then what would happen is when these jackpots would get to be, you know, um, half a billion, three quarters of a billion, uh, the people out of Huntsville would start coming up in droves. I mean, we would run valet parking operations and, and put on extra cashiers. And, and it was just, uh, it was like a casino on steroids. And, and, and so, and so I, I ran that whole operation for him, uh, as well as his other, uh, real estate interests. Uh, and so, yeah, I learned a lot. That was my, really my first time to work with, um, hourly wage employees, you know, as a CPA, you typically deal with the 1%. And, um, and so, and, and I came to enjoy working, uh, with, uh, the, the 99%. Uh, and so it was, it was just a really good, um, just say a uh, cathartic process for me for those three years I was there. So these were like these, uh, mega, maybe the wrong description, but these are these like convenience store, gas station, yep. you know, some of them were, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And some of them were just buildings where we sold lottery tickets. <laughs> you're saying just, just lottery tickets? Just. Really? Yeah. Wow. Six Six, six locations all within one mile of each other. So, um, and, and they would, uh, yeah, they just, they just stayed busy. Wow. Then all, all, the time. all it was, well, how big of a facility do you have when you just sell lottery tickets? Just a teeny, you know, 800 square foot or what? Did... All of, almost all of these buildings had been other things before. So some of them were 4,000 feet. Others were, um, 2,500 square feet. Um, you know, we would sell drinks and stuff like that, but a lot of it was just a counter and tables and chairs where people would take, go back and do their scratching. And, um, you know, we, we, we would have spaces outside where they could, uh, smoke and while they scratched and it, it was, um, 
you kind of have to see it. It, it was, uh, yeah, I'd never played a lottery ticket before, uh, before I'd been there and, and I didn't understand the appeal. Well, you're conservative. And it is kind of fun. Conservative yeah. CPA. And then the me- Christian media <laughs> company only cause I come out of that business media. Yeah. Which, which one was it? Uh, that was creative trust, uh, which had started out as a, um, as a Christian uh, artist uh, management company, uh, and then also uh, had become a literary agency for Christian authors, and then we moved. Then we created um, a company that was that's now streaming. That part of the business is still operating. Uh, and when I when I laid myself off in 2017, I you know I st- still worked with them. Um, yeah, as fractional CFO uh, until they uh, grew big enough and they needed a full-time CFO, uh, which uh, they did oh, two, three years ago. So, um, but yeah, still good friends. One of those guys is 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 on our board at Harvard Grace Capital. Uh, and but what what really happened with us is you know this sort of transition from from streaming to digital, and there's there was a lot of disruption. We we were probably selling five, $6 million of DVDs a year. Uh, and then in, I think it was 2016, DVD sales just, just about stopped. Uh, and, and as people were changing in the, you know, the profitability of the business models is not the same, you know, uh, hardly for anybody. And streaming can be expensive, but the, but the net profit's not, it's not as simple as it was selling a DVD for 1999 and, and, and you know, you got seven bucks profit off off of it. it. It's it's just not the same. So anyway, it was a different business model. Well, you're one guy that understands that uh, externals that you can't control can really determine your your destiny. Um, and so, what do you do with that? I don't know what you do with that. But what is Harvard Grace? What what's the name? Uh, the name is, uh, is double meaning in, in both words. So Harvard is my dad's middle name. It also happens to be, you know, uh, the name of this, um, exclusive college up in Boston and that some people might've heard of. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm using that to, uh, to, to catch attention. Uh, grace is uh, also double meaning in that when I was in college and reading the Wall Street Journal and, and back in the day, and I would, I would just read just, just to learn stuff. You know, I might not understand the article, but I would read. But it's, but it's stuck in my head for years that back, back then, almost every day, there was two or three articles about this company called W.R. Grace. W.R. Grace, it was, was just a good old-fashioned conglomerate. They owned so many different businesses in different industries, you know, that none of them had much to do with anything, but they were a massive conglomerate. And so, so it was just WR Grace. It just rolled off the tape. So I'm using that. And Grace also has a personal meaning to me for uh, God's grace and, and perseverance and faith. And so I put Harvard Grace together. That's where I came up with the name. I like it. You know, I, uh, I read the Wall Street Journal like you. I read it every day, probably since college, I still don't understand the articles, but, 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 I'm, <laughs> but, 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 I'm, but I'm persistent. And so, okay. So what do you love about it, it, bringing this up to now? And in the last year, tell me what you love about Huntsville. Oh, uh, how much time do we have? So, um, 
what happened, you know, Huntsville was a sleepy town of about 200,000 folks for 20 or 30 years. You know, it's the secret home of NASA. Uh, everybody thinks NASA's in Houston. And yeah, there was a piece of it down there. But uh, and anyway, so you've had you've had this long time military research uh, operation going on there since the 1940s. You've got a massive military base there called the Redstone Arsenal. And then in 2008, the Base Realignment Commission uh, realigned three different army commands to the Redstone Arsenal, uh, the one of which was the Procurement Command. So any, anything that the army buys goes through that command. And they relocated that to Huntsville. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it just upended everything. Now, today, Huntsville is a is a is an area of five hundred thousand people and growing, uh, and it's so much more than just government. There's an awful lot of defense contracting. Any defense contractor you've ever heard of has an office in Huntsville, maybe more than one. Uh, still, a lot of research. The FBI is actually relocating or recons or, or duplicating. The Quantico training facility on the campus of the Redstone Arsenal. Uh, I have several friends that are that are architects on the projects, as well as um, in the construction site. They can't talk much about it, but but we know that the FBI is there, and there's they have four thousand people here. There's industrial concerns. It's 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 just sort of an amazing, growing, balanced economy. So Toyota Mazda put an engine plant here. Just hired 5,000 people. Toyota already had some um, uh, operations here. Uh, Jeff Bezos's rocket engine plant, as you might imagine, uh, is located here. So another private sector interest. Uh, you know, Facebook has a massive data center here. The, the infrastructure of Huntsville, um, both from air and ground, uh, is really well located. The availability of labor is great here. The availability of land is here. And frankly, it reminds me of Nashville 30, 40 years ago. Uh, and, you know, Huntsville is now a, a pretty good sized city. To um, the um, uh, USA Today ranked it the number one best place to live last year. This year it fell to number two uh, and uh, beat out by Green Bay, Wisconsin. You know, it's like, don't they know how cold it gets up there? I, 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 well, it delegitimizes uh, the entire list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think there was some lobbying going on here, but um, <laughs> right. still, uh, still, I mean, it keeps coming up on list after list after list. And then I just, I just kind of laugh at the real estate reports who wants to call Huntsville a, uh, a tertiary market and not a primary. It's the largest city in Alabama now. Uh, which is not saying a lot. Alabama is not that big of a state, but uh, the whole northern part of Alabama is is a highly educated workforce uh, and has been for a long time. So um, anyway, I could go on. Uh, it's um, it's just a really nice place to be with lots and lots of opportunities. Okay, well that's look. I I, I didn't know that. I I had no idea how many people. I would have guessed. Yeah, because because I have no idea. I would have said one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand is probably what I would have said, and not not based on anything other than pure guess. And so I would have been wrong by you know two point five x. So you have done you've done self storage in 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 the last year and a half, uh, medical office, uh, and then I 
you can correct me, I think another office, but I, I might not be memorized. Yes. Right. Okay. And yeah. so I guess in looking forward, do you think that you will, A, so, so I guess just thus far, it's, it's this focus on this market that, that has all these attributes. Do you, do you anticipate over the next whatever period of time, let's say one to three to slash five years, do you envision doing all your subsequent projects in uh, Huntsville, number one? And number two, will it be, will it be asset class agnostic uh, slash opportunistic? Or do you think, you know, do you have a, a feel for medical office or guess what, what do you just see looking down, you know, a little bit ways out? Well, uh, for those who understand our geography, uh, I define our market area as the 865-565 corridor. I'm sorry, 840-565 corridor. Those are two interstates. One, one of them is a loop that goes through around the south of Nashville. And then 565 goes across northern Alabama. And it's just a clever way to say, we're in southern middle Tennessee and northern Alabama. Um, and the reason we are geographically limited at the current time is because uh, we feel strongly that we have to property manage all of our targets. To me, it is the only way in smaller properties, and smaller to me is anything under $20 million, it's the only way to deliver the business plan at which I'm selling my investors. Uh, nothing against property managers per se, but when you get to the smaller properties, uh, you can have the best talent in the world at property management, but when they have to deal with 25 or 30 different properties, it's too much. And the, the, the market economics of property management fees is not sufficient to pay for great talent in that business. So we do that. We do take whatever the market base, usually 80% of the market property management fee. So we take that. It is a loss leader for us, but Again, we're committed. We're also investors in these properties with our class A. So that's why we are um, uh, focused geographically. Uh, I liked your term. We're going to be asset class agnostic slash opportunistic. Uh, it will be commercial. I will tend to stay away from single family, um, single tenant anything. Uh, so I'm typically not going to do single tenant retail, such as a Dollar General family. A dollar. Uh, I don't like single tenant uh, industrial either. You're one tenant away from disrupting your whole uh, investment thesis. I've stayed away from multifamily. It's been too uh, expensive. Uh, our, our intent is for all of our investments to be um, cash flowing from day one and be able to return a reasonable uh, cash on cash return to our investors from day one. Uh, and that's most multifamily, uh, does not do that until year, uh, later year two or year three. Uh, and so what you see is a lot of, uh, sponsors raising more capital from their investors so that they can pay out a distribution from day one. Uh, and, and most of the investors know it. It's just, yeah, but all that does was, is depress your, your IRR later on down the road. So our IRRs are, ex we expect them to be in the low 20s uh, or, or, or better. Uh, and, and that's without any fluff. But, but we also put a very healthy reserve in there. Now, I say all that, 
I read an article yesterday about Nashville's multifamily uh, with having some real um, vacancy issues. Uh, and so there may be some multifamily deals coming on the market. A lot of those were financed with floating rates too. Uh, and so I think there's going to be some pain in some multifamily. I do like office primarily because uh, the national media is whipping up a frenzy uh, of fear about office. Uh, and I'll just say that uh, there are at least six subcategories of office. Uh, I think only one of which is really going to have any real issues, and that's the Class A central business district type office. Uh, our the office properties we have are have been full uh, from day one, with the exception of our medical office property, which the seller moved out of it, and and yeah. we we've. Uh, we're actually putting some storage in, in the bottom of it and, and we'll have the other piece rented by the end of the year and then it'll be full. Uh, but that was, in, that was uh, known going in. So uh, go ahead. Well, Sorry. Well, the, the, I can be long-winded. No, 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 no problem. I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here absorbing what you're saying. Uh, the seller, so was he a medical practitioner of some sort? He was a doctor. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, he he had uh, had his practice office on one floor, uh, and he and he never built out the other part of his office, and he worked on his race cars down there. So perfect. I'm <laughs> glad he wasn't my doctor. Well, hey, so you you said that you know uh, multifamily in in Nashville might you know uh, have a hiccup, which is true of you know pretty much most places. If if the prices came down, where the cash on cash be high enough, like you said, it, on the front end of the deal, would you do multifamily? Totally. You would? Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's the foundation asset class of all commercial property. And, and one of the reasons it drew me to storage, storage correlates to multifamily almost directly. Uh, and to me, it's a way to play the multifamily wave without the toilets. Uh, but, um, but yes, multifamily is a great asset class. Uh, when you say, Stuart, that, you know, for your investors, at least until now, and we'll see what happens with multifamily over the next months and quarters and couple of years, but at least now it, it hasn't penciled. And you said you need, you're, you're looking for a certain uh, return cash on cash. What's the range of cash on cash that you're able to, you know, achieve in terms of the things you've acquired over the last, you know, since the beginning of January of last year? Yeah. Our current portfolio is distributing on average 9.8% cash on cash. Uh, and so we're in year two and one in one of them and um, in year one on the other two. So, and those are expected to go up. And frankly, on our first one, uh, we're behind our plan at, at 9.8 cash on cash. Uh, we, we've done some moving around and, and been able to consolidate some suites and raise rents but the construction has taken longer. Uh, and so we hadn't hit all those new uh, rents just yet that, that it's actually taking place. So we, we will be at uh, probably 12.5% cash on cash on that property by the end of the year. Uh, when we're looking at a property and I'm doing initial underwriting, I want to be able to say that I can pay cash on cash day one of 5% to the investors. And that's assuming that I've got at least a 1.2 times coverage cash flow on my, on my mortgage. Uh, and, and then we will build in a reserve of at least 12 months of uh, mortgage payments that we will just keep 
that also lowers IRR. But then again, I'm an old guy. I've had these experiences. I've seen, I've seen what happens when you don't have reserves. I, I get a lot of people, I've had a lot of people push back and say, well, that's, that's just too much. Well, I'm the one signing on the debt. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to have that in the bank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you got to have reserves. Um, got to have reserves. Yeah, no reserves, not smart. Um, are you at this juncture, you know, you said that you're managing these yourself. So that entails kind of overseeing, you know, people, uh, uh, you know, people at the property level. Are you the one in your group? I'll call it your group. You didn't say it's a group, but you say you do have some partners. Are you the guy that's kind of the day-to-day guy that's overseeing these properties yourself? And whether you have on-site uh, employees, maybe not for those kind of properties, but maybe you could explain all that. Yeah. Yeah, we do have a team. Uh, I have partners and then we have a team. So I was able to onboard a very experienced property manager. She's based out of Huntsville. Uh, and up until that, it was pretty much me. I have another uh, admin support person who's worked with me for uh, about 10 years. And she was with me back at the lottery stores. And she was just a great utility player and, and had done some property management herself. So you know, had some fun times this spring. She went on medical leave and I was already trying to hire the property manager, but everybody's back and healthy. And, and so I get to be strategic now. So, um, so I've done property management. I do property management. I do most of the leasing on the office side myself, uh, which is another benefit to the, to the uh, investors because I don't charge leasing commissions. Uh, and, and so we have a team and uh, life's pretty good right now. I've got a very experienced property management team that they only call me when there's a problem. Well, that's, uh, I think that's always the case, but that, but that's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> property management is um, almost all problems. Right, but yeah. it, 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 right ex- exactly. What would you say, you know, through, cause you've got such a, a range of experience. What would you say is your overarching just operational philosophy of real estate? Oh, I've never been asked that before. So different philosophies at different stages. So my, um, when acquiring my overall philosophy, and I got this from a guy named Carlton Sheets, who you know, used to have a, an infomercial that would run every night, you know, probably 23 years ago. But he, his, his says, was if you're not embarrassed by your first offer, then you're offering too much. And, and everybody laughs and very few do it. And I have done it. And it is amazing the deals I've gotten off of that. Because I can, I will run my numbers and, and I'll say, all right, this property is worth X. Uh, and so then I'll usually come in there and offer 0.75 of X. Because uh, you never know where the seller is. You never know what their broker is telling them. Uh, and the only way to do it is to go first. And then, you know, people get mad. Uh, a lot of them don't respond. Uh, doesn't, that doesn't stop me from making another offer. So, so there's that. Because uh, you make your money on the buy. I didn't, I'm not the first one who said that. You make your money uh, when you buy your property right. If you buy it wrong, you might can hold it long enough to fix the mistake. But it'll take a while. My other philosophy is keep the tenants happy. Take care of the place. Make it look good. Make sure there's no trash in the parking lot. 
mow the grass, put out pretty flowers where appropriate, and make the make it a place that the tenants are proud to be there. So, um, not too deep, not too terribly deep. No, but th- but those are my philosophies. You know what? They are deep. They're, they're not hard to understand, but they're deep, and you know, common sense is is uh, is rare. What's the, I got, if you're not embarrassed by the first offer you make, it says, what's the rest of that quote? Then you're offering too much. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yep. Boy. And I thought you were going to say, you know, Carlton Sheets, you know, he was on TV 20 to 30 years ago. I thought you were going to say, and 20 times a night to boot. (laughs) (laughs) There was that too. (laughs) He was, he was. He was quite ubiquitous. I, I'd say, and even he then, was. I'm just going by memory. Even then, he seemed to be in his fifties. I would imagine uh, he's got to be in his eighties by now if he's still yeah. around somewhere. Yeah, if he's still with us. Well, you know, and going back to my story, you know, when I was frustrated late at night, when took it was a Carlton Sheets commercial that came on, and I bought his book. Wow, hundred ninety nine dollars money back guarantee, and. I never, I never sent it back. It had good stuff in it, uh, but but that's the one I remember. You know, it was on one of his tapes. That's you know, back when he sold VHS tapes. You know, videos to watch. And um, um, but there was there were other good things. That's that's what got me started in being a landlord. Well, you know, like what led me to buy my first duplex. Like we discussed discussed earlier. What what I love about you is that you know you, you you're a doer, man. You didn't. You know, most of the people that bought Carlton Sheet stuff did. They never did anything. That's just because of the law of human averages. Well, listen, um, boy, what a great conversation as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Stuart, how does somebody get a hold of you to find out more about what you're doing? And I think you said middle Southern Tennessee to Northern Alabama. Yes. Yeah. um, So best way to get in touch with me is go to harvardgracecapital.com. It's all spelled out, harvardgracecapital.com. I've got some free resources out there for passive investors. If you go there and go to resources, you can download those for free. You can also find my Calendly link there. I'd be happy to talk with anybody about real estate pretty much any time of day. So um, reach out, uh, use phone number, use Calendly link. Would be happy to talk with anybody. And any time of day uh, you heard that, but but give, give Stuart a break. <laughs> I don't think he means at two or three in the morning, so respect the time zone. <laughs> I've, I've done it before. Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> Why would I create conditions on somebody else? 24-7, call Stuart. Anyway, uh, listen, I, I very much appreciate the conversation and, and I hope we can do this again at some point in the future and see what you're doing. Absolutely, Sounds Roger. very interesting. Thank you so much for having me. You got it. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. 